Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. So we are continuing this morning the Lifescape series. We uh, started uh, the year, not exactly started the year, but when we got the year going. Uh, we, we went with the uh, Adventure Starts Here series, then we transitioned to the I Dare You series, and now we're, uh, as we come into the sort of uh, Indian summer, early autumn, uh, it's awesome how the, the weather has just got beautiful as soon as the kids went back to school, as uh, someone was playing a joke on us there, but uh, uh, this is the Lifescape series. And I'm going to be honest with you, Lifescape, it's not a real word. Not a real word. Uh, I, I typed in on my computer and I got the red squiggle under it. The red squiggle of judgment. <laughs> the red squiggle of judgment, which is only one better than the green squiggle of bad suggestions. <laughs> useless suggestions. Has anyone seen now the blue squiggle? The blue squiggle of smugness. So, I saw that you spelt your word wrong, but it's okay. I spelt it right for you, and I just wanted to blue squiggle it to let you know that's how you spell ambulance. <laughs> I'm like, well, I was spelling ambivalence anyway, so forget you. <laughs> Life gives not a real word. It's, I, I cannot imagine it's in any of the, the great works of literature. It's not in any of the, uh, the, wor- uh, the works of uh, Lewis or Tolkien. Uh, Frodo never sat at the edge of the fiery Mount Doom and reflected on his lifescape <laughs> and conceded that he was possibly guilty of being a little bit of a yes man. <laughs> Maybe if I just said no once or twice, I wouldn't be sitting here in damnation. I, when, when I got the, uh, the red squiggle on the lifescape, actually, I, uh, I right-clicked and looked up lifescape to see if it had some uh, unconventional meaning. The only meaning I could find... Now, there are meanings in sort of modern dictionaries and stuff like that, because modern dictionaries like to stay relevant. They want people to buy them, and so they, you know, you're not going to buy it for just the same definition of what experiment means or something like that. So they put new words in. I'm sure Brexit will be in it, because it's not another real word <laughs> either. Uh, but what lifescape, the only definition or the only thing I could find is, I will read to you, Lifescape is a glossy monthly magazine aimed mostly at women who want to live a more cruelty-free, healthy, green, and interesting life. It is colourful, upbeat, and genuine alternative to other women's magazines available. I feel bad for the women who have to read dour, pessimistic magazines. At least they have this alternative. It also makes the claim that it's the only vegan magazine. I feel as if that might not be true. And the best bit, it says, each year, each year, Lifescape, which is now in its second year of existence, (laughs) that probably means it's like 13 months old. I think it survived for like 14 months. But each year, now, in its second year of existence, it commends companies that are making a difference by producing cruelty-free cosmetics in its beauty awards. The prestigious beauty awards. The Lifescape Pasty Face Awards. Ah, There we go. So, yeah, I'm not going to be talking on that kind of lifescape. <laughs> lifescape, I guess, uh, as a definition, is it's like that sort of intersection of lifestyle and landscape. It's, uh, it's the, the it, it depiction of the contours of our lives. It, it's the, it's the, the fruitfulness 
of those tended areas of our lives, those tended territories, and the, the dysfunction and the lawlessness of the realms that we have neglected. It's the, the proud strongholds and the scarred battlefields of our lives. It's, 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 it's what makes us all different. It is what defines us. Uh, it is the intersection of our experiences and our values. And every single one of us is different. And every one of us has a different lifescape because our experiences are different, where we've come from, how we've got here, the battles that we've fought, the strongholds that we battle. You know, all these things are different. And so livescape is that it's a bit of a, a definition of us. And what we're going to be looking at in this series is, is to know who we really are and dare to live life. Dare to live life, who we really are and how we dare to live the life that we have been called to live. And so We've been reading from Romans, uh, Romans 12, uh, 1 to 8. That's kind of our core text. I think it'll get read out during most of the messages. And, and, and it's used as sort of a, a place of inspiration, uh, a place to really uh, uh, connect with us and meet us on this journey. So I'm going to read to you Romans 12, 1 to 8. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, though the grace given to me, everyone, uh, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing, According to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, uh, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who sows mercy with cheerfulness. I'm going to be talking today, the title of my message is Brave Choices. We are, we are faced every single day with, with choices, uh, decisions that require a, a degree of boldness, of bravery, of courage in order to see those things through. It, it said in the verse that I just read, it said that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We, we are to prove that our lives, we are given opportunities, opportunities to minister hope. In our lives, you will come across people and you will minister, or you will have the opportunity to minister hope, to lay hands of healing, to speak that word of truth, to speak that word of healing upon someone's life, to share your testimony, to bring somebody, to, to, to relate to someone, to bring about something personal of yourself, to draw out a truth that could lead to their salvation. That's, that is the opportunities, that is the way in which we prove that God is good, acceptable, the perfect will of God. And those, those opportunities uh, will influence and impact the lives of those around us. Uh, and it fulfills the call of God upon our lives. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we probably pass up more of these opportunities uh, to affect change than we take up. We probably see more of them pass by than we grab hold of. Um, because... To take a brave choice is to forsake the comfortable path. It's because 
it's going away from that sort of risk-averse quiet life. And, and, and that's where we're comfortable. It's your comfort zone. You're going to be there most of the time. To make a brave choice is to step out with that. It's to, it's to go beyond it. It's to break that sort of that wall down. And in breaking down those walls, you, you, you expand your territory. You make it bigger so that your comfort zone actually gets bigger. You get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. But, but when we don't, we know it because we can't. We can't ignore that sort of dissatisfaction in our conscience. There's something within us that tells us you're, you've, you've missed your calling. You've, you, you've, you've denied your calling. You know, and that, there's that dissatisfaction on the inside. It's that, I'm sure that every single one of us has, has had that moment, uh, maybe in your walk with God, where, where you have that inner turmoil. You just feel that tremendous tension, that tremendous uh, turmoil when you see an opportunity about to pass you by. When you know that you should do something, you know you should speak up, you know that you should make a brave decision, and you. But there's a time limit. These things don't just. Time does not just stop while you eke up the courage. It's like it is going past, and the other people involved have no idea that you are on the verge, on the precipice of this of this bold decision I, I remember when I was really new in, uh, in the workplace uh, when I just sort of graduated I must have been in my workplace for about a year it was a great pl- workplace I loved it. it it was sort of full of these the, the, the people who started the company they, they like to employ and I, I, I don't like to think that I was including this but sort of mavericks and, and people that's what their words not mine and uh, they, they like to employ these people that just sort of were quite these bold personalities I didn't really fit in in that sense but uh, it was a great place to work there was all these tremendous characters and there was this this very sort of bombastic Frenchman this really sort of he was he was huge uh, he had these massive thick rimmed glasses I mean it was like looking at him through a gold first pole I mean he, his eyes were tiny on the other side of him but he was just this he was this great gregarious oh, I don't think that's the right way to say that word but uh, he just <laughs> gregarious that's it gregarious word he was a, just a real laugh a uh, real fun-loving guy. Uh, and I remember he came in uh, one day and he was, he was laughing to himself because he got this uh, screensaver sent. And it was a screensaver of all these, uh, of all these sort of ladies in, 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 in bras and bikinis and stuff like that. And he thought it was hilarious that he was putting on his work computer. And, you know, it was quite a small workplace, so there wasn't really this sort of social etiquette that would immediately tell him that's not really very appropriate. Uh, and, you know, everyone went in and commented. And I remember being like... I'm a Christian. Like, I don't want this in my workplace. I, I don't want my wife to walk in and be like, oh, so this is what your colleagues get up to when you're at work, is it? I, I just, I, I felt like a real unction on the inside that there was something that I needed to stand up for. But it required a brave decision because I was quite a, I was a young guy. He was a much older guy. He was a real bold personality. I knew that he had no real sort of uh, faith, well, he had no faith whatsoever. He'd probably consider himself like a, a an atheist or something like that. I just had no time for that kind of stuff, like a real man of science. I was like, I'm going to have to take on this guy and really just uh, ask him if he would just sort of take it back and give him a reason, like not just some false reason, give him like a real reason as to, as to why, why and meaningfully. And I, uh, I, I, I remember one morning I got in early because I knew he got in early. And I wanted you to speak with him. I obviously wanted to speak with him, just the two of us. I didn't want to like create a scene. And I just remember the, time, the minutes sort of ticking away and thinking, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, or else the, the moment will pass and then it will be on to the next day. And I just remember, I, 
It's turmoil. You know what I mean, that turmoil where you're like, oh, I've got to do this. And I just sort of spoke it out and I prayed and I just sort of covered it with prayer. And he was just totally, totally uh, uh, understanding of it. No problem whatsoever. He, he, he just thought it was a laugh. He just thought it was funny. And, but I was able to just sort of share a little bit. My, I feel like it's important. Like you don't just put restrictions on people. You have to explain. You have to bring a bit of the faith within your life, the confession within your life. This is not just rules and regulations. This is something that, 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 that is a part of my life, is a part of... Uh, my confession of my testimony, uh, and I, I took a wee while just to speak with them about this. But I just remember that turmoil, that feeling, this is a brave decision. It was a brave decision for where I was in life, where I was at that point. But in making that brave decision, I opened up my horizons. I opened up my territories. The thing that I said that I couldn't do, I knew that I could do. I knew that I was able to work upon a brave decision. And but, there are, but even in that, there are so many scenarios that, that pass by, that I allow to pass by, that we all allow to pass by without our intervention, that we just allow them just to move beyond, to move on to whatever phase that is and just see. Whether it's that, that person, uh, I don't know if you've had this, you walk into the street and just feel God say, I just want you to tell that person you know, about me. And it's like, that's a really tough thing. They're just walking by. You've never met them before. And, and often you're like, ah, oh, that's just me. That's just, uh, that's just Kevin speaking. Uh, but no, it's like, you, it is actually usually God. And, and, and uh, I've heard, uh, you know, these stories of people who've just been told, pray for this person. They're like, oh, I don't have time for it. But they prayed. And it turned out that like at that time, there was, there was all sorts of circumstances. And, and that prayer just came through as timely. So when those things come upon our life, that unction comes upon our life, it is God that is calling you. And it requires a brave decision. It requires a brave choice. And so I want to explore this morning, just in the small amount of time I have left, is, is why, do we, why do we tend to shrink from brave choices? Why is, why is it that a brave choice, uh, whereas we can see the value in it, we can see the goodness in it, yet there's this sort of, we, we would tend to maybe shrink away from it. And, and what is the key to making brave choices? What is it about a brave choice? What is it in the process of making a brave choice that is the, the, the bid, no bid, the, the, the deny or the go for? What, where, where does that happen and how can we affect that? How can we understand that part of ourselves better and then challenge it next time? Now, I think probably conventional wisdom would say that if you believe in something enough, if you believe in something, then, then you will make Decisions corresponding to that belief. Brave decisions corresponding to that belief. I think we would probably, without really thinking about it, that's probably where most of us would think. If I believe in something, I probably would make a decision according to that. But I was listening to this, uh, this research that had been conducted over the last sort of 10 years that, that actually said that wasn't really the case at all, that, uh, that belief, blah, blah, belief systems are not actually the primary motivator in decision-making. Isn't that interesting? I would have thought it would be totally the other way. But it's actually something uh, more to do with, with that sort of social pressure. Uh, let me give an example. H- has any of you ever done anything that was remarkably stupid? <laughs> and you were fully aware that it was remarkably stupid. And yet you did it anyway. You didn't sort of put your hand up and say, I don't really think this is a very good idea. Uh, I'm not saying this did or it didn't happen. But let's say that it did. Uh, Let's say that I maybe once, when I I look, this is confessions of a preacher. Once upon a time I was a teenager. I've said it before. I'm not trying to sort of, uh, uh, sort of make it, pull out anyone, point any fingers, but uh, teenage guys, 
pretty much the stupidest creations on the earth. <laughs> I was one. I still have a lot of that in me. Uh, I remember I got in a car once. And getting in a car in and of itself is not a bad thing. But I remember we were in this car and the driver said, oh, let's do a, let's do a Starsky and Hutch. I'm like, what's a Starsky and Hutch? He's like, you see that T-junction there? It's like, yeah, we're just going to go for it. We're going to what? We're just going to go for it. But you can't see around the corners. What if there's a car coming? That's okay. What if there isn't? Let's just do it. And there was a few of us, the car was full, like, like all teenage cars are. It's like this tiny little car, all of us in there like that, all crunched in like a bunch of sardines. So now we're going to go for it. And because there's like this, this uh, energy in the car, no one wants to be the worst. No one wants to be the one who says, uh, I'll just step out of here because uh, this looks like a horrendous idea. Uh, it's like, all right, yeah, great idea. Let's do it, guys. Let's all hold hands. <laughs> and we went for it, maybe. Possibly, in a hypothetical world, we might have done that. We went over T-junction. I should tell you, terrible idea. It is probably one step, one degree removed from suicide. I mean, it was a terrible idea. I can't even believe. Uh, and as my mother listens to this right now with all of her friends, because uh, they do this, as, they listen to some of these podcasts as a group, she'll be like ashamed of me right now. But that's all right. You know, God forgives me. And so must you. Uh, but, but you know what? I, I knew that that was a terrible idea. You would know that was a terrible idea. But how many of us, when we're in those situations, even though we believe it to be a terrible idea, still do it anyway? Won't make a brave choice. Believing in something isn't a primary motivator or isn't always a primary motivator. Like lemmings sort of walking off the edge of a cliff. How many of the lemmings question whether that was a good idea or not? How many of the lemmings sort of have the bravery to turn aside? There's this word that they use in this research. It's really good. It's called thresholds. Thresholds has all to do with uh, social pressure, uh, the, the, the social etiquette of the situation. And a threshold would be, so if you would imagine, you're, uh, you know, there, there'd be people who would probably be quite up for being involved in a riot, right? You know, they would be quite, quite up for throwing rocks through windows and stuff like that. But if you imagine your grandmother, your, your grandmother, your lovely dear old grandmother, not the other one, that one, uh, <laughs> she would never get, you could never imagine her getting involved in a, in a riot. She would never throw a rock, would she? But what if her sister threw a rock? And what if her daughters and her, and her son and her mother and her father and all of her friends, what if all of them threw rocks? Do you, maybe she would throw a rock? She'd be more likely to throw a rock, right? It's kind of true, right? And I'm sure none of you would ever throw a rock. But if everyone else in the room was throwing rocks, you might at least consider it. Right? Yeah. Crazy thought, right? You might, there's these things called thresholds. And there are people who have high thresholds and low thresholds. Some people who will just get on, just have a go at anything. I remember I went to uh, an airport uh, with uh, my wife Laura, Pastor Kevin, and uh, Pastor Cheryl. We were in Iceland and we were, got there at the real early hours of the morning. We were flying back from, uh, from Iceland to, to the UK and uh, it was like five in the morning. And we got there and there was this queue to sort of check in put your bags in. It was massive. It was all the way out past the barricades. And so we join it like a bunch of sheep. We join the back of the, uh, the queue and stand there. But Pastor Kevin, who, as you can probably guess, those guys who know him, is a low threshold kind of guy. Uh, and he's like, well, I'm not standing in this queue. This queue's for mugs. I'm not a mug. So he went looking around for like sort of places to check in Autumn, like, you know, with the computers. This was like five, six years ago. So, you know, it was before everyone had iPhones and things like that. Uh, 
Only like rich people had iPhones. Uh, and uh, so he was in there and he, he, we're, everyone's, and the thing is this, he's doing it in the full view of everyone. Everyone in the, in, in, in the queue is like watching him and like judging him really. Like look at that silly man. He thinks he can get quicker than this queue. This queue is like the most important thing. You can't get beyond this queue. Look at him. Look at him over there trying to check in automatically with a computer. What a silly, he's done it. He's done it. And we walked out, me, Laura, and Pastor Shaw, yeah, we're with that guy. <laughs> I knew he was going to do it. We are just watching his luggage. <laughs> Low threshold kind of guy. Didn't care. Didn't care that everyone was silently judging him. And yet, I remember another situation. Uh, when we were uh, back in, my wife and I were in Dundee, and we were part of the, uh, the youth group there, and we did this huge sort of outreach event, and we had loads of like uh, kids that went to you know local schools, and we we asked them like you know we're going to have this this awesome sort of like get together, have barbecue, loads and loads of like fun games and stuff like that, really awesome prizes, like good prizes, prizes people would actually want, uh, and and they did it. All the youth kind of went out and they absolutely did it, and they brought. So many of their friends. I think they had like sort of 50 people who'd like never been to church before or anything like that. It was like more of them than there were of us. And, and, and it was like amazing. We were so amazed. And then, and then we had the, the, the whole sort of the fun stuff. And then we did some worship. And then our, 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 our youth leader came up and he, and he preached a message, just a short message, just a message just to really sort of uh, challenge them and, and, and put that question to them. You know, did they want to give their lives to God? And... The way he posed the question, I, I don't think he did this on purpose, but he posed the question, like, you know, if you've, uh, we did like the sinner's prayer type thing. So, like, if you never prayed that prayer before, I just want you to put your hands up. And, and literally every kid put their hands up because they're thinking to themselves, well, I've never prayed this before. It's like, all oh, right, okay, well, you've made a decision for God. Oh, all right, okay. Uh, 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 and and he, I don't think he was, like, meaning to, like, trick them or anything. I think it was just the words he chose. Uh, uh, usually you don't have to kind of, uh, you know, temper what you're saying. You're like, oh, just any reason, put your hand in the air. But they all, all of them put their hands in the air. It's like, all right, you know, we've got some guys who like to counsel you and, or, or just tell you a bit about your decision. Just come this way and like this back room. Literally the whole of them got up and we're like, oh, my goodness, it's a revival. <laughs> we're like doing the holy dance and everything. And it turned out it was just peer pressure. It was like one of them had put their hands up. And said, oh, we all got to put our hands up then. <laughs> It was like literally 50 people got, went and got, did the prayer of salvation and responded to it out of peer pressure. None of them, like, I don't think any of them actually had like, made any sort of particular connection. Or, I mean, it might have moved them a bit along, but, but it was like, not like, like 50 of them had suddenly decided. It wasn't like the day of Pentecost or anything like that. Uh, but it was like, these were like low threshold. It was like that social pressure, that, that, that pressure to conform. It's like, well, I'll just agree to anything. Yeah, sure, no worries. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I've got to go to church every Sunday. Well, I, I guess all my mates are doing it. It's like there's this, uh, there is a pressure. There is, and and the, uh, we have thresholds. And, and the thresholds dictate quite a bit about how we actually respond in situations and decisions that we make. Not so much about what we believe, but who we are around and our regard for social acceptance. Mm. How much we regard that. Some people don't regard it at all. Some people regard it a lot. Most of us have that sort of desire for security within us. And so I think one of the things is this security in a crowd. So we tend to go with the crowd because it feels more secure. In, you know, I'm sure uh, it's, it's a safer place. If you're out in the wild, stay with the crowd. You know, there's maybe natural instinct there. Stay with the crowd. But it says in the Bible, in that passage that I read, do not can be conformed to this world. 
Do not be conformed to this world because brave choices, brave choices will be hampered by, by conformity. They, they will be prevented. Uh, I remember uh, being in a workplace once and I had this uh, guy that I worked for and we would all go for coffee at the same time center and he made this rule. It was like, we, during coffee time, we don't talk politics and we don't talk religion. He just didn't want anything challenging. He didn't want anything uh, that, that could cause any sort of affront. But, but how are you supposed to use that time of social, uh, that social time if you're going to conform to the world? How, how am I ever going to speak about anything? How am I ever going to convey my faith if I'm going to conform to the rules of this world? And it's the same with us. And some of those rules are like unspoken. Particularly in a workplace where there's like a high level of conformity, a high level of like uh, professionalism. You know, it's like, well, we mustn't talk about those things. That's conforming to the world. And it's, it's, it's also the reason why when we're in church, when we're in this sort of setting, and faith is sort of uh, en- uh, enlivened, emboldened, and, and we just get that sort of confession, that unction on the inside, and we, we leave uh, just wanting to uh, instigate all of the lessons that we've learned. There's that fire, there's that enthusiasm, because we've all got together. The threshold is risen. The, the watermark is risen up. We, we all are finding that faith together. We're believing it together. That's why church is so important, because you join your faith with other people, and you begin to believe more than you believed when you walked in. You begin to trust in God. You begin to let your faith become emboldened. But then when you go to work on Monday, you wonder why it's not the same. Different crowd. Different threshold. And often that, that disappointment, that, that, that frustration, that, that, that unwillingness to maintain that momentum prevents us from pursuing that unction that is on the inside. Reality is this, when it comes to your, to your walk, is that we will always be in the minority when out in the world. We always be the minority. We are of the, 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 the confession, the, the, the heart of this church is that we make the proportions less. We make them more equal. But, but there will always be the unsaved. The Bible tells us that. Uh, you'll always kind of be fighting that tide. You'll be watching as that sort of avalanche of, uh, uh, of opinion bears down upon you. Um, you will always be battling that time and tradition. You know, this is how we've always do, done it. Uh, nobody, nobody wants to be that person. Everyone's stood and waited at cash machines. And there's always the long queue, and then there's the no queue. And there's always that maverick who's like, oh, I'm going to join the no queue. And of course, they join it, and they read out of service. And everybody in the long queue goes, what an idiot. And, they, and that's it. We, we fear it because we fear that when we step out, we'll look stupid, and the world will laugh. That's the fear. That's, that's the tension. That's what we deal with. That's why social pressure, social norms are crippling because they instigate that sense of fear on the inside. But if we opt to play it safe, the problem is that we, we, that brings its own consequences. In, in James 4, verse 17, it says, He who knows to do good and does not do it, to him is sin. And when we know there is a good decision, when we know that we've been called and we don't do it, that's, that's sin. That's like it's a mark against us. That's why there's that dissatisfaction on the inside. That's why, the, that's why we don't feel right in ourselves. I want to talk about one of the sort of 
great examples of this in the Bible. One of the, the great examples of that social pressure and how a certain group of young men responded to it. Most of you guys uh, will have heard of uh, this historical figure captured in the Bible, captured in many other texts as well, King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar, when he was king, was the most powerful man in the, in the, in the modern world. I guess it was the ancient world, but, but in that part of the world. Uh, and he would have been referred to, his title would have been King of Kings, because he would go around and he would conquer all of these other kingdoms, and he would make those kings, I think they call them sand, sand, sand traps or something like that, sand traps. And they would become kings under him, almost like governors. And he would be called king of kings. He was the most powerful man in the world. And he was, he was responsible for this rapid expansion of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, he, he was the king who sacked Israel, who, who took the people of Israel, took the best that he could find and exiled the rest. He was, uh, in Jeremiah, this is what God says, or this is what Jeremiah prophesies about him. Jeremiah 4 verse 7 says, and this is about King Nebuchadnezzar. The lion has come up from its, his thicket, and the destroyer of nations is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate. Your cities will be laid to waste without inhabitants. This was a bad dude. This was a guy who had full power and was not afraid to use it. He was... He was unflinching in his authority. And if you, you read and find out about how these kings... Kings operated, they would do unspeakable things to, to people who showed signs of treachery or, 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 or didn't conform. Uh, they, would, they would do all, uh, horrendous punishments that I wouldn't go into right now, but you can check out for yourself later. Uh, he would have been terrifying. And he built this idol, this, this, this golden statue of one of their gods, and decreed that when the horns trumpeted, that everyone would get down and worship this god. And there were these three guys, these three uh, guys who'd been taken out of Israel, uh, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, they weren't going to do that. They, they, they trusted in God, God Almighty, and this was an idol, and that was completely against what they were about. So they weren't going to do that. But there were people around them uh, who wanted to see them sort of uh, be put down, to, to see them uh, catch some heat. So they, they, told, they, 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 they told the king about these guys. The king was furious. As you, as you can imagine, he was not used to being defied in any way, in any shape or form. So he pulled these guys in, these three guys in front of him. Now, it's one thing to make a stand in private. Mm. It's one thing to on your own be like, well, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to whisper to myself and I'll just, I might kneel down, but I won't be saying anything. You know, it's fine to do that in private. But when you are being faced down, by a man who in the Bible is recalled the destroyer of nations, who is known as the most powerful man, man who said that anyone who defies this decree, I will throw them into the furnace. I feel as if that might have a, that your threshold might change in that moment. Even the most sort of devout of Christian might have second thoughts. And so and and, and here's the amazing thing. In spite of that, he, he offered them what seemed like a pretty reasonable deal. He said, look, all is forgiven if you just join in. Just, just join in with the rest of us and we'll forget the matter ever happened. And this is what they said to him. The destroyer of nations. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him. King Nebuchadnezzar, 
we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Those are bold words. Bold, bold words. Because they're not even saying, they're not even saying, they say God is, our God is able to do this. Oh, he can absolutely do this. But even if he doesn't, because we're not saying he will or he won't, we're not going to presume what God is going to do, how God is going to act. But, but regardless of that, you're not going to serve your God. Yeah. And Nebuchadnezzar was enraged. It says that he told the guards to raise the temperature of the furnace seven times. Yeah. So he could make sure they were really dead when they went in there. Because I'm sure like the one time wasn't hot enough. And he got the strongest of his guards to tie those guys up and throw them in. And it was so hot that the guards who threw them in were, were killed by the flames, by the heat of it. And as he watched, he watched them get up, walk around. There was a fourth person, was an angel. And they just walked around in this, in this fiery furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar, king of kings, destroyer of nations, was dumbstruck. Could not believe his eyes. And he ushered to them, come, come in, come back, come back. And they came out. They didn't smell the smoke. They weren't injured. Their clothes weren't singed or anything like that. They were, they were utterly delivered. They were, his punishment upon them had had zero effect. It had, it had nothing. It had done nothing to them whatsoever. And this is what, this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. This was, this was what he'd sort of learnt from the situation. He said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation uh, or language who say anything against the king, the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can, be sa- can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He still had to kill some people. He still had to make some sort of <laughs> destroyer of nations after all, you know. Can't just say, wow, your God's amazing. You're like Anyone he says he isn't. It's all right for him to change his mind. See, part of being brave is that there's there's risk involved. Bravery is required because there's potential for it not to go that you want it to go. There's uncertainty in the outcome. However, and this is what these guys had known, there was certainty in grace. There was certainty in blessing. And in Psalms 40 verse 4, it says, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and doesn't, and doesn't respect what the, what, what the crowd says, what the people around him says. 
I've watched a, I started watching a program recently, just, just like the last couple of days. It's quite funny because there's been quite a lot of uh, emphasis on Bear Grylls, and he's, he is a, a tremendous sort of uh, inspiration. But I watched this program. I don't know. I, I only just found out about it. There's like three seasons of it, but, but it's awesome. It's called Bear Grylls Running Wild. Has anyone seen it? It's really cool. I, I encourage you to watch it. And what it is is he basically takes these famous people out into the wilderness, uh, and they're like real sort of A-list celebrities, uh, or they used to be, and uh, <laughs> and he and he puts them through his channels. It's all the stuff that he used to do on his own, where he like eat bugs and stuff like that. It's not so much fun watching him do it. Once you've drank your own urine, I mean, what are you going to do after that? But he makes them do it now, and it's amazing. But what's incredible is that I watched this one last night with uh, the woman who played Monica from Friends, and, and she was terrified the entire time. She made her like scale off of cliffs and, and do stuff that was so completely and utterly out of her comfort zone. She was terrified. She cried half the episode. But the amazing thing was this, that because they were just one-to-one, because it was just the two of them, he was able to persuade her to overcome her fears. He set a threshold and he willed her and these, these other people to do things that they would never have volunteered to do out of a group. We'd never have volunteered to do it out of a group. And the funny thing is he doesn't even tell them. You'd think he'd tell them, you know, sort of niceties like, it's okay, we won't do this unless you're happy with it or if you're comfortable. He never says that to them. He says, don't worry, we won't do this until it's safe. It's the only thing, nothing to do with how they felt about it. Never said, it's okay, we don't have to do this if you don't want to. It was always, it's all right, we're going to do this. You'll be safe. Don't worry, you'll be safe. But he required this, like, total solitude of the wilderness to get that message across to them. And he would like build it with escalate. He would get them to do sort of more and more dangerous things and, and it would require more and more of them. But because he set a threshold, because in that relationship, that one-to-one, he was able to get that message across. They were able to do things that they would never have believed that they would be able to do. We need to encounter God in a place that is removed from the crowd. When, when, Jesus, when Jesus made brave decisions, he retreated from the crowd and his followers. In, in Luke 5, verse 15 to 16, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Son of God, Jesus Christ, our salvation, when he needed to make brave choices, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was about to give his life, he was sweating blood, he'd withdrawn to a lonely place and he prayed. Because when you pray, you set a different threshold in your life. You change the voice See, there's a difference between believing in God and having faith in God. James 2 verse 19 says, You all believe that there is one God. Good. It's a sarcastic good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Belief is one thing. Belief is good. Belief is a starting point. But you can't make brave decisions without faith. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to take a risk? Trust is built on a relationship. Trust is built on a relationship. So rather than ask, do you trust him? It's like, do you know him? Do you know him? 
trust draws from those shared experiences and those those intimate moments, those intimate interactions. That's how you trust. That's how you know someone. That's how you know your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your mother, your father, your sisters, your brother. You know them because of those shared experiences from those times where you are alone. Faith is faith is that, that triggering component that allows us to make brave choices. It, it bridges the gap between a good idea and our conviction to act. Faith is that, that point and faith is our relationship with God and that relationship is what sustains us over the course and reinforces that idea. We are faced with daily choices every day, whether to act or whether to stand by, whether to step out of the shadow of conformity or whether to allow it to cover us. We're not called to go on fool's errands. We're called to take steps of faith. In Daniel 11, 32, it says, Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Carry out great exploits. Who wants to do great exploits? You can do great exploits or you can do the mundane. The mundane's easy because you do it every day. Great exploits requires brave decisions, brave choices. And the greatness of those exploits is directly proportional to how well you know God. That is the only cap the greatness of the exploits of your life, the greatness of the testimony of your life is totally defined by the strength of your relationship with him. Sometimes we get frustrated. God, I want to be doing this. I want to be doing that. I want to be stepping out in this way. The only cap is us. Where do we spend our time? Where do we give our time to? Great exploits wait for those soul time in a relationship with God thanks for listening if you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times then don't forget to visit our website www.junctionchurch.com God bless